So I think I've reached the stage where I'm officially back to being an Iowan with this uh, this bush light here. There was a period probably in my very late college years to mid-20s that I just drink Bud Light when given a beer option. And that bush light was, I would drink if it was around, but I went like buy bush light usually on my own. I have Bud Light, Bud light Bush Light, and Coors Light in the house. I had a Bud Light the other day. Tasted horrible. Did not like it whatsoever. Then had a Bush Light, and it's pretty tasty. And so I feel like I'm in full circle back from when I was like 20. And, the, you know, oh, yeah, Bush Light, because you weren't at the bars yet. So Bush Light is kind of what you probably had all the time. That I'm now back to that stage of my Iowan status to uh, Bush Light being just the standard light beer that's not just because it's kind of cheap, but I like it more than the other stuff. So that's exciting. It's delicious. And and when you just, you get that first sip of a cold Bush Light and you just, it, it just sets the mood. It takes away all of your, your worries and you're like, man, this is so awesome. Indeed. It's so good. I don't know if we talked about this with uh, with Darren afterwards. We kind of talked about before the Iowa game and the, the tailgating in the morning and what to do with the seltzers and the beer. And uh, I think we both started with the beer in the early in the morning hours, and that was definitely the right call. Yeah. Because, it, uh, the seltzer early is just not – it doesn't do it. But once it started warming up, it was a very hot day. Once it got a little bit warmer, then have a few seltzers, and it was uh, it was a perfect mixing that took place that day. Yeah, yeah, that was a that was good play on our part. I had a delightful nine percent barrel aged stout last night. Took a bath of cold weather. Is that uh like in the commercial where it's probably like a whiskey commercial or something like that? But they have they're at the bar and the guy's trying to decide what to drink, and they offer him a a beer aged with goat's milk or something like that, and they have a goat <laughs> with them. Is that the type of beer that was? Yeah, same, same, probably the same brewery. Okay. Makes sense. We need to, let's just keep dropping company names in here. Like we're a NASCAR driver after the race. See if we get some sponsorship dollars kicked in. The Sports Gospel broadcast brought to you by Bushlight, Hands, Old Milwaukee, Busy, Truly, Adidas, and Columbia Sports Gear. So I sent you guys that picture of the Monaco that I had maybe two weekends ago now. And yeah. I've never actually purchased a Monaco and drank it, um, but I was I was at the Come and Go, which is a gas station for your listeners who might not know such a thing. Um, <laughs> I was at the Come and Go, and I was looking for something that was uh, kind of in the seltzer area, but maybe not a seltzer, something different. And so I was looking at kind of the the actual alcohols mixed with watery whatever stuff, like the high noon stuff. And uh, the Monaco was in there and it was cheaper and it sounded tasty and it had about every alcoholic type of alcohol I could think of. So that seemed like a good idea, but it was really good. It was, um, I think I paid two fifty a can and they, they were just individual cans. But if you bought three, you saved like a dollar or something like that. So you could get three for six bucks. That wasn't too bad. I thought of a deal. So, but now I need to find it in a larger package than individual cans. If we're good for nothing else on the show, we give alcohol recommendations for the cash strapped consumer. 
And we have yet to lead anyone astray. So there's that too. It's the most important part. Welcome in everybody to this week's episode of the Sports Gospel Podcast, leading leading you off the best way we know how with drink options. And happy post-Halloween. We had the pre-Halloween episode last week. Did you guys do anything for trick-or-treating or in Central Iowa, your stupid beggars night? You guys stay in this year. Our kids went out. Um, they went to the neighborhood houses. Um, our dog doesn't really like people coming to the doorbell and ringing it. And he just he wants to go and jump on them. So I didn't think that would be good for a bunch of little kids. So we just stuck out a bowl of candy. And I sat at Ooh. home while uh, the rest of the family went out um, and walked around some houses. It wasn't – our street was super dead. Um, there was a lot of people gone or just at home with nothing going on. The next streets over had a lot more stuff going on, but it was kind of kind of quiet in our house, which isn't always the case. It's usually not the most exciting thing for Halloween, but at least there's usually people around and kids going up and down the street for a good solid hour and a half. But it was pretty pretty dead this year. We had a pretty good time. Um, 21-year-old me would think that I'm lame, but 36-year-old me thought it was pretty cool. Uh, my two little girls, we took them around the neighborhood and they got all kinds of stuff. Um, that started a little after six by seven 30, they were cashed out. The older one actually wanted to pass out candy. So she stopped at like an hour and she handed out candy and, and I was out with the younger one until about seven 30. And then we had, uh, we had the neighbors come over with their kids after they had gone trick or treating, um, who are younger than ours. And we watched baseball. Uh, had a few busies and um, just chilled until the kids were beyond bedtime tired and uh, they went home. So uh, yeah, it, it was fun. It was a good, a good night to go. It was Saturday night in, in uh, our town. So we went out Saturday night, which was great for everybody. Disclaimer, the adults had the busies. The children were eating candy. And I don't know if this is the case, but I felt like when I was a kid, we went to like a thousand houses. I could have swore, oh yeah, we went up to like a hundred different houses and got so much candy. As an adult, I'm wondering if we just go to like 20 houses, but I thought it lasted all night. So like, just, it seemed very quiet by seven o'clock already, except for those bands of teenagers who are too old to be trick-or-treating anymore. But I thought it was, it was all night and I was staying up so late and I got to get candy for days and days and days. And looking back, it probably took a half hour. That is probably accurate. Very accurate. I had to uh, coach baseball, four and five-year-old baseball the next day after that. And there's nothing more fun than coaching four and five-year-olds the day after they get Halloween candy. And I'm pretty sure half of them (laughs) had candy for breakfast that morning. We we were at 1130 in the morning is when we we did the baseball. And some of those kids were more more sugared up than they had been all season. So I'm pretty pretty sure they got into the candy that morning. Kevin, growing up, did you go trick-or-treating in your neighborhood? I think one time I went kind of to houses that are in the general area of the farm I grew up on. Um, Approximately six miles away. Not not a lot. I feel like I went to good old Aunt Deb's neighborhood most of the time and uh, nice. strolled around there when I when I did stuff. But I don't think I went trick-or-treating a whole lot at like uh, houses. It was always uh, some kind of here's a 4-H trick-or-treating Halloween party and I just got candy at something like that some kind of gathering of people in one place cows needed milked they needed milked and uh I probably needed someone to drive me around to go places so 
All right, let's talk sports on the show. That's why we're here, right? A shockingly busy week. I was looking at the show prep for this week and thought, wow, we have a lot of stuff going on, a lot of sports coming to their conclusion and some other sports just hitting their high notes. So we're going to start here on the heels, your brand new baseball world champions. Congratulations to the Atlanta Braves. I thought it was a pretty fun series. We all love to see the Astros lose. And I thought we had some great back and forth action in the six games. And when we talked about it last week, it was really going to come down to can the Braves defense hold down the Astros? We thought that would be the difference maker. If it became an offensive shootout, the Astros were going to be able to hit better than the Braves. But the Braves pitching, the Braves defense, it's I think it's hard to get excited about great defensive baseball, but if you just want to watch consummate defense, this Braves team felt like they had it in spades. And I believe they held the uh, Astros to two or fewer runs in four games. Those be the four games they won. I think the only time that the Astros won, they had to put up five or more runs. So congratulations to the Astros. I thought an all-around great World Series, a pretty good playoffs, despite the surprising teams. Three straight wins in the World Series for the National League. Uh, Jorge Soler getting the MVP award for the World Series. He was part of that Cubs team, so two strokes of history for Jorge Soler with the 2016 Cubs winning their first in 100 years and then the Braves their first since 1999, the fourth in the history of the franchise. So what did... What were your guys' thoughts on basically the World Series that was or any anything else World Baseball postseason that we haven't covered yet? First, I thought it was pretty fun. Just overall, the Braves are a fun team. Um, and so even for not big baseball people, like I don't I don't think we're huge baseball nut fans, but um, they were fun to watch even in those low-scoring games. Um, they're, they're a fun team. They seem to have fun personalities and enjoyable people to watch. So it was nice to kind of cheer for them even more so than maybe just cheer against the Astros. But playing that all together, it made for a, a fun series with the Braves winning. Um, overall, the play, I mean, it's a pretty, a pretty good run when you looked at the teams that were in the West with, you know, the, the Dodgers and the Giants being kind of the teams that got all the attention. And the Brewers are probably better than anyone ever really talked about, but they got, they're the Brewers. And so no one talks about them. And then they got knocked out early by, what ended up being a really good team in the Braves. So um, all around the, the National League was pretty good. The American League, um, it seemed like the Astros were clearly the, the best team in there, um, even though it looked like the Red Sox maybe were going to get them for a second. But the Rays and Yankees kind of fizzled out. Um, but overall, it seemed like a decent playoffs. So I think between the playoffs and you throw in the Field of Dreams game, this was probably a pretty a pretty good year for baseball and probably a year that most people were paying more attention to baseball than they ever have in a long time. Um, at least I felt that way with myself. I'll go back to the beginning of the season and, and uh, with the Astros. So knowing they were going to be a good team, we do a competition where we pick teams. And the only reason I didn't take them first, I ended up taking the White Sox first because the White Sox play in such a crappy division. Like you get to play the Royals and the twins and, and, uh, the Tigers are in there. Like I was thinking the White Sox were going to win more games than the Astros, even though the Astros were a better team just based on their division, because the Astros have a uh, pretty good competition, especially with the, the A's are always uh, competitive and uh, the whole money ball deal there. So uh, they were, they were kind of positioned from the beginning to be good, but the Braves, now let's look at the national league. They came out of nowhere Um they were one of those teams that was supposed to be under 500 and, and really performed well and then turned it on after the trade deadline. Uh, and they bring in the Kansas city Royal Jorge Soler 
who has had himself a heck of a career. He's not even 30 years old yet. Freddie Freeman, Eddie Rosario, like they made moves at the deadline. And, and I, I don't know who at the trade deadline said, Hey, the Braves are going to win the world series. But now you look back at the pieces that they added to their team at the trade deadline, which made all the difference for them in getting over the, that final hump and having the offense to play uh, all the way through the playoffs. Uh, just a great series. And they played really well. It was fun to watch baseball. Uh, not something I often say. However, the World Series was was a lot of fun to watch, and uh, I'm I'm happy for the Braves and glad they won. And we don't want to rain on the parade and start looking too far into the future, but it kind of feels like the Braves were a team of destiny, like we talked about the Cubs or maybe the Royals a few years ago, or not one of the teams like the Dodgers or the Red Sox or the Astros are going to be there. It feels like all the stars aligned. They made the right moves. They got the right guys in the right places. A lot of credit to Brian Snitker, the uh, manager for them and the rest of the front office making those smart moves. Snitker, good story on him. He's been with the organization for 45 years. I think he started there as a minor league player in the 70s or 80s and has just stayed with him and rose through the ranks. So good to see people like that win. But they have, they're looking at Freddie Freeman, who I would argue is the league MVP this year and their best guy. Freddie Freeman, Drew Smiley, Jorge Soler, Eddie Rosario, Jack Peterson, and Adam Duvall all up for free agency this year. So if they can keep most of those guys, at least, you know, Freeman, Rosario broke out in the postseason, maybe Soler, they can keep those guys. They may have a chance to run it back and contend again. I believe they won the uh, the NL East four straight years, which you kind of forget about. You don't realize that because, you know, the Nationals win a World Series in there and the Phillies are supposed to be good, but the Braves are kind of quietly asserted dominance in the East. If they can keep most of those guys and run this back, I think they may be real contenders next year. You know, you're going to have the Dodgers in there. I think the Brewers will bring back most of their arms. Uh, Phillies may be finally getting things right with that crew. So the Braves, I would totally count them out, but it felt like a team where all the stars aligned and they had all the perfect pieces in the right place. And it was, it was meant to be theirs. And so congratulations to Atlanta and the Bravos for getting it done. Like you say, a fun team. And it was, seems like a good group of guys to get behind and the really shocking thing they did all this without Ronald Acuna Jr. He's supposed to be the best guy I think we talked about one of the five best players on the planet they did all this without him so imagine you take this roster and you add Acuna to the mix they could be even more dangerous next year if they run it back I was trying to remember that as the series was going on where we each had Acuna um if I wonder if we had him second or third if Kevin or I had him second or third Darren you probably had him either first or fifth I, so, I think I, I think he was my number one. I think you guys went Tatis and I went Acuna. It was like the best under 25. It was like him, Vlad Jr., Tatis, Juan Soto, and somebody else. Yeah, I think that's right. Tatis was one and Acuna was two. And I would argue this year Vlad Jr. is probably the best of the bunch. If you'd like to read our all MLB award article on the website, I believe I had uh, Vlad Jr. as my AL MVP guy that we thought would be like fourth or fifth and he probably had the best season so again baseball looks to be in good hands if all these guys stay healthy and things go right next decade you have some mega stars coming up just getting going yeah and, and we didn't even mention Dansby Swanson who had had a coming out party in the playoffs so they're uh they're they're built as long as they they keep it all together and and uh at least try to, to keep it all together like the Cubs let their roster fall apart and they traded everybody away for a bag of potato chips but if if they try to keep it all together um yeah they could be dominant Freddie Freeman to me strikes me as an Atlanta lifer he seems like one of those guys who wants to go to the Chipper Jones or out just be there 
forever. I'd be shocked if he leaves just for the money. He's already 32. So I feel like he would stay there. So at least if you have him and Acuna, you're off to a good start. Which speaking of, you have some, you have some hot stove action coming up in December, January, MLB offseason this year. Awful lot of talent out there, I believe. Robbie Ray, Max Scherzer, Freddie Freeman, um, who am I blanking on? Uh, Chris Bryant. A lot of big name guys are going to be coming up this year. So a lot of heavy hitters to be free agents and Carlos Correa from the Astros. So big offseason for Major League Baseball. So have faith. Your team can get some big name until they all sign with the Yankees or Dodgers. So that is our baseball conversation. Put a bow on baseball for a few weeks here. Congratulations to the Atlanta Braves for getting it done. We're going to jump into what I'll probably call our main topic of conversation this week. First week of overreaction on the college football playoff rankings. So as a reminder, this is the ranking that really matters. The AP is fun. The coaches is a thing that exists. But your top four, let's go. Let's do the top 10. Georgia Bulldogs, of course, number one, no shock there. Alabama getting the two spot may be a bit surprising since they do have the loss. Michigan State shooting up to three. Uh, Oregon four, Ohio State five, Cincinnati six. I'm sure that'll be a talking point for us. Michigan seven, Oklahoma eight, Wake Forest nine, and Notre Dame at 10. So you're looking at week one of the playoff rankings. What stands out to you guys or what's your greatest topic of interest from these first uh, top 25 poll? I would say, and you know, obviously the Cincinnati part is up there and Bama being at two, but for me, it's almost uh, Oklahoma got the, the treatment of being a, a smaller market team and getting way down there, even though they haven't lost yet. While they haven't always looked that good, that's it's still Oklahoma. That's still what their jerseys say. And I would have thought for sure they would, I mean, to be behind Michigan, who just lost, um, and, you know, behind other teams that haven't looked super good that have losses, that was, that was pretty shocking to see them that low. Um, I think the good thing, even though, you know, there's lots of stuff that don't really look, look right. There's a good chance. Lots of this stuff will, will level itself out. Um, you know, Michigan state and Ohio state have to play each other. You know, Michigan will play Ohio state in there too. Someone's going to get some more losses. Um, you know, you got Alabama and Georgia to play each other, you know, unless Alabama beats Georgia, which I don't think would happen. Um, that would really mess stuff up. I get Bama two losses. They're probably going to be out. Um, be pretty hard for I think for them at two losses to get to get in um, Oklahoma is going to have their chance to keep winning they got all their big games coming up so they shoot up the the listing if they keep winning um, the one team who it seems like doesn't really have much say is Cincinnati um, that's if they keep winning they've already won their big games um, you know SMU and Houston if they play I don't think they have Houston on the schedule but if they play beat SMU then whoever they play in their conference championship Neither of those two teams are ranked in the top 25, despite being what both seven and one, I think. Um, so that's that's not what you're looking good for them to build their resume down the road. And so it's kind of like they're going to hang out there. And if all these other teams kind of fall apart that are around them and pick up losses, they'll get in. But I don't know how much more they're going to be able to do to, to improve where they're standing just by winning their games, whether they win by seven points or 40 points going the rest of the way out. It's fun to see Michigan State up there in the top three. Uh, they, they've got a good coach, and uh, I, I was the first person to go live three months ago and say that they were going to be a 500 team or less. So um, I'm happy to crow on that because I like to see them doing well. They're running backs a freak and, and 
going to be in the Heisman finalists, at, at least the voting for that, and, and maybe get an invite to that final four or five. The committee setting Ohio State up to say, hey, Ohio State beat the number three Michigan State team. We're obviously going to put them in. Uh, they're going to run the table, win the Big Ten. And so you're looking at Georgia, Alabama, and Ohio State, and then that final spot's going to come down to to Oklahoma, Oregon, or Wake Forest. I have no faith in Oregon or Oklahoma to run the table. So that's going to knock them out with two losses. Wake Forest, uh, pretty cool story. They've had a great season, but uh, a team without any sort of tradition is bound to trip up. Um, there's there's a guy um, as a head coach who who's going to bolt, and I don't blame him, put his name in any of those big jobs that are open. Uh, guys that, that have proven themselves at mid-majors or at a school like Wake Forest, just like Matt Campbell at Iowa State, uh, eventually you're going to say yes to the money and, and you'll never fault anybody for that. So the rankings, they, yeah, they kind of leave Cincinnati in a spot where they're not going to make it. But I don't, I don't know that that's really a shock. It'd be cool to see them in there, but it's not a shock that they're not. And they won't be in there unless there's a bunch of chaos that happens in the next month, which is possible. And that's why we're going to play the game. So um, the committee wants Georgia and Alabama in there somebody's going to have to do some major losing to get get those out those two out give me georgia michigan state cincinnati and wake forest that's the final four i want uh quick trivia game before i get into some other data points here the inaugural college football playoff poll that was released in 2014 which team was number one in the inaugural playoff rankings florida state Ooh, you were close. They were number two. Oh. Oregon. Um, number one. Oregon was not in the top four. Um, 2014, huh? <sighs> so you had Florida State yep. played... Oregon in the playoffs in the first round and you had Auburn no not Auburn Ohio State play Alabama in the other playoff round right is that what happened those were the teams there at the beginning doesn't mean they were there at the beginning wait probably not because Florida State was undefeated and eventually moved up to number one right is that what happened so sure there's a team that probably lost and fell out. Sounds about right. Let's let's go with. I feel like it should be someone that I would not expect, so I you shouldn't are, say Ohio State. That would that would be, be a bad option. It's a power five um, school, but not one you would expect. I'm going to go right with here. uh riveting content right here. This is this is really good stuff. I'm going to go with US no, yeah, I'll say USC anyway, even though you probably expect them. You are incorrect. It is an SEC team. It's not Auburn or Alabama. Perhaps this team beat Alabama if I had to guess why they were ranked so high. I think their coach is still in the SEC at a different school. Mississippi State. Mississippi State was the inaugural number 1 team. 
In that first poll, the top four were Mississippi State, Florida State, Auburn, and Ole Miss. That was the year like the Egg Bowl was Egg Bowl was huge. I believe Dak Prescott maybe from Mississippi State. I don't know if Chad Kelly was at Ole Miss at the time, but it's like the, like both teams were undefeated going into the Egg Bowl or something. But Very it's, nice. It's interesting to look back, and maybe this means the pollsters have gotten better at predicting this. But in the inaugural poll in 2014, only one of the first four teams ended up being there at the end. Last year, in the first playoff ranking, it was Alabama, Notre Dame, Clemson, and Ohio State. Those were the four that ended up making the playoff. So I know last year was a little bit weird, but it feels like they've gotten a little bit better. In 2015 and 2016, they got two of the teams right. 2017, 2018, three of the teams, and then 2019, two of the teams. So really not a lot of movements in these in these rankings. The team that really seems to be on the outside looking in is Oklahoma. So Oklahoma has never been in the inaugural top four poll, but they've ended up making the playoffs one, two, three, four, five, six times. They've ended up making the final four six times and are always on the outside looking in at the beginning. So whether that says something about the Big 12 or the way Oklahoma does their schedule or just the way the committee views them. The Sooners always seem to be on the outside looking in. So kind of par for the course for them. No two-loss team has ever made the, the playoff. And as much as we worry about the SEC doing this kind of thing, only one time have we had two teams from the same conference make the playoff. That was 2017 when Georgia and Alabama made it. We just remember that because they end up playing each other in the championship. So all this concern we have over one conference getting two teams in, only happened once in our seven-year history. We've never had a mid-major team. It's always been a Power Five conference, plus Notre Dame stealing a spot or two. And fun fact, this is the first time a Pac-12 team has been in the inaugural playoff top four. So something for the feather of the cap of Oregon. But all that to say, I do not expect a whole lot of change here. I don't expect somebody, you know, let's say Auburn runs the table and somehow wins the SEC. It'd still be a big shot for a two-loss team to make it. So I think you're really looking at about 12 teams here that even have a realistic shot at making this thing. And a lot of them are going to knock each other off. When you look at Baylor, Oklahoma State, Oklahoma, only one of them is going to get through. Michigan, Ohio State, Michigan, Michigan State, and Ohio State are going to knock each other off. Let's, we all just need to pray for Georgia. Alabama beats Georgia, and that's not good for anybody. We need Georgia to crush Alabama in the championship game. Oklahoma always loses to either Texas, Iowa State, or Kansas State in October. So they always have one loss, sometimes two. Maybe they'll lose to two of those teams. So that's why they're never never ranked very high because they always come in 6-1, and 7-1. One, and one, probably doesn't get them in that top four until they win the rest of their games and then win the Big 12 to work their way up. They beat Texas and they beat Kansas State this year. So if you want to piece together the rest of that puzzle, go ahead. And there's, I don't see a whole lot of slip-ups on the horizon here, at least for this week, which, as I say that, like four of these teams will lose. But I think the big one is Michigan State has to go to Purdue. We've seen what Purdue is capable of when they knocked off Iowa when Iowa was the top five of the rankings. I am not totally sold on Michigan State. I think that does say something for how they view the Big Ten, that undefeated Michigan State is so much higher than undefeated Oklahoma or Wake Forest. Clearly, the committee, not big fans of the Big 12 or the ACC this year, which can't really say you blame them, at least for the ACC. And then Cincinnati. Yeah, if you're Cincinnati, you just have to keep winning. Even if you run the table as Cincinnati, you need Oregon to lose. You need Alabama to lose. And you need one. I think you need one Big Ten team to be strong. You can't have one loss Michigan State, one loss Ohio State, one loss Michigan. 
then that's that's bad news. They still aren't going to trust you. So I would I would like to see more chaos happening, but I feel like at least two of these teams are set. And the other two spots are going to be wide open. So it depends how that cookie crumbles. Michigan State is a three-point favorite at Purdue, which is not a not a whole lot. Give me the Boilermakers. Michigan State should have lost to Nebraska. They got they got handed their gift with that game. Um, the game with Rutgers was fairly close until later in the second half. Let's see who else did they barely beat. Northwestern, terrible. Youngstown State, terrible. Miami when they were terrible. Western Kentucky, terrible. Rutgers, Indiana. And then Michigan, first time they played a team that's actually good. And they pulled it out after being down by a bunch. Yeah, they're but Purdue, they're right Purdue and Maryland up. coming up. Whatever their records, they get to what ten and zero before they play Ohio State. It, it's about how they could get them focused. Um, you could feel Iowa losing to Purdue coming a mile away because Iowa wasn't focused. They were still focused on Penn State from the week before. Um, if Michigan State still focused on how great they played against Michigan tomorrow at practice, it's over and Purdue's going to win that game. So, so Darren, you could be onto something. You could just cover. Uh, if you get Purdue to cover the spread or money line, I, I I think it's not a bad pick there. I would probably I'd probably take them to cover the spread, but I'm not brave enough to take them on the money line. So a quick should be relatively easy and prompt you trivia game. In the seven years we've had the playoffs, that means there's been 28 bids sold out to the college football playoff. Can you name the 11 colleges that have split those 28 bids? Alabama. Correct. Yes. Um, Clemson. Correct. Notre Dame. Correct. Oklahoma. Correct. Florida State. Correct. Oregon. Correct. LSU. Correct. There's four more. Ohio State. Correct. There's three more. Michigan State. Correct. Washington. Correct. I, I thought Michigan State or Washington would be the ones that tripped you up. Did we say Georgia already? You did not. There it is. You got all 11. Georgia. Look at you guys. Nice. I thought maybe – yeah, I thought one of those two would get you because – Michigan State and Washington were there early and have not been back in a while. And I don't see Washington making it anytime soon. No, not uh, unless they get Chris Peterson back. Just, everybody's just waiting for them to beat the Ducks this week and completely ruin Oregon's season. Uh, I guess taking in some action this week, a lot of action games filling up your Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and a little sun. I don't, I don't know if the Sun Belt has a cool something. Is this uh, time for the betting tips for the show? If you'd like it to be. So the Maction, right? So um, they score a million points in these games. But here's here's what you need to be doing, apparently, is the uh, the live betting these games after they get started. They're probably, I most things I think, are hitting the over anyway. But let's see, Kent State in Northern Illinois today. It was 7-0 to zero after the first quarter. 7-0. to zero. In the end, there was 99 points scored. It was 52-47 wow. to 47 in the end, 7-0. to zero. Uh, let's see here. Central Michigan and the Western Michigan also seven to zero at the end of the first quarter ended up with 72 points. 
Let's see, last night you had a, a little bit more of that stuff too. Let's see, Eastern Michigan and Toledo, those teams actually started score. They had 28 points in the first quarter, so you probably didn't want to touch the over on that. But um, they find in the end they scored 101 points, and the over-under is 54.5. Eastern Michigan almost covered the over on their own, and they scored 52. Let's see, Miami of Ohio versus Ohio. It was seven to nothing after the first quarter, fourteen to nothing at halftime. So fourteen total points. They ended up with sixty-eight total points in that game, thirty-five to thirty-three. So they start slow and then they just pile on the points. So if you're if you're looking to do a little little live betting action, get in sometime in the first quarter when not much has been going on before they all stop playing defense for the last two or three quarters. Looking ahead to this weekend's games and maybe some more bets trickling here. I don't know that there's a a lot of phenomenal games. I think Wake Forest at North Carolina could be tricky. Maybe it's because I refuse to give up hope that North Carolina is actually good. I can see that being a trap game for Wake Forest. Liberty at Ole Miss stands out to me. Liberty is maybe not quite as special as last year, but if you love some coaching rivalries, you have Liberty and Ole Miss, two two favorite coaches of this show. Uh, Kansas and Kansas State, there you go, the battle for the something. I'm sure that's kind of a trophy. Purdue, Michigan State, we talked about being a big deal. Um, Auburn, Texas A&M, I think maybe the biggest one on the radar, two ranked teams there, two teams kind of lurking. If Alabama were to slip up, one of those two teams could be in there. Maybe the iron bowl could mean more if Auburn, Auburn was kind of seemed like people cared about them and then they were terrible. And now they seem to have found a second spark. Um, uh, trying to see if there's anything else that really stands out. Not a, not a dynamite week of college football, at least ranked matchups. I think some good matchups between evenly matched teams, but no real marquee showdowns. I think other than what we just mentioned. Unless there's something I'm missing. Rhode Island at UMass. That'd be a pretty exciting game. I, I think this is more of the uh, the sneaky interesting games um, versus highly rated. Like you got Alabama, LSU. That's that's not supposed to be close, but it's Alabama and LSU, so that's kind of fun. Um, you know, just a lot of things like that that you have Oklahoma State going to West Virginia. Um can be a tricky place to play. Oklahoma State should probably win, but they're also, I mean, they're not favored by very much. Could easily lose that and fall out. Baylor at TCU without Gary Patterson there. See what, what TCU looks like. Um, you know, I don't know if they're going to be motivated in the first game without him to maybe always, upset Baylor. Always bet on a team the week after a coach gets fired. Or, well, I guess Patterson's not really fired. Is he he's still there? They're just not keeping him around. No, he's, 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 not, he's left. They okay. wanted to keep him, but he, he left. I don't, th- this used to be one of my things is never trust a team that just lost their coach. I have since come around on that. Always bet a team who in the, in the first week afterwards, I don't want anything to do with it, but I've done quite well this year, both college and pro uh, sports bet on a team who just lost their coach in the first game after. So it's a good tip. I'm excited to see how that pans out. Army air force. That's fun. Just going to be some kind of trophy on the line for that. Those military games are always some. They got the the commander trophy for, uh, but that's like with them and Navy all together who, who comes out on top with uh, the three of them. So I don't think it's just between two teams, but yeah, I think that wake forest, that North Carolina game can be pretty tricky as well. Um, So, you know, hopefully wake forest pulls it out, but you know, North Carolina shows up some weekends and they look really good. And they could easily easily ruin that undefeated season for Wake Forest. There's a, a couple of things that I'm keeping my eye on. The first one, selfishly, is Kansas State, Kansas. So uh, 
I had a futures bet on Kansas State this summer to go over five and a half wins on the season. Uh, should they beat Kansas, they will then cover that, which will give me another Big 12 team that has gone over. Baylor went over a couple weeks ago, got paid out on that. So Kansas State to go over that. Um, then which which college is going to fire their coach on Sunday it has kind of become the thing. So I want to see how Florida does because Dan Mullen's on the hot seat. I want to see how Nebraska does because Scott Frost is on the hot seat. And I want to see how Miami does because Manny Diaz is on the hot seat. And these ADs are, are kind of the puppets behind the boosters. What do the boosters want? Um, it, is Miami going to get Mario Cristobal? It's like, they can't afford him, and why the heck would he want to go there when he has Oregon? But, but maybe, maybe he's sick of being in Oregon. I don't know. Scott Frost is the best thing Nebraska can get. They're paying Mike Riley. They're going to fire him and give him twenty million dollars. I don't know. Let's see what happens there. And then Dan Mullen has kind of crashed and burned recently at Florida. Uh, he won with, uh, oh man, the the guy that was before him is the coach that's now back at Central Michigan. One with his recruits has none of his own recruits and has struggled. So if, if Florida, Nebraska, or Miami lose and it's kind of ugly, I could see those guys being out Sunday. So that's why I'm going to keep my eye on those games as well as the games that you guys have already highlighted. Miami is good now, so they're going to win easily against Georgia Tech. They just need to get a, a new quarterback in there, and he is uh, – He's lighting up the scoreboard, Mr. I think was his name. Tyler Van Dyke, maybe is his name. He's a freshman and he is awesome. Um, so Miami's offense is good, so they're gonna kill Georgia Tech. So they're gonna if they wanna fire Manny Diaz, they're gonna have to do it while they're winning. Nebraska plays Ohio State, and they're only a fifteen point underdog, which is uh is kinda low, but I don't think anyone would be surprised if they lose like fifty two to three and um just a complete beatdown that that might be good enough to get Frost out the door early. But one one thing I want to encourage, especially on the West Coast, this is a, a great weekend for the late night football games this weekend. You got, first of all, highlighted by UTSA at UTEP. Um, the Roadrunners undefeated. And UTEP, while they, uh, they lost last weekend, good effort. They covered, by the way, though. They covered, so that's important. But UTEP, nice nice rebound season. That game's on ESPN, too. So you can get a little UTSA action in on a regular channel. So you should definitely catch that. That's a 9-15 central kick. Um, let's see here. ESPN has USC and Arizona State. That's probably not overly exciting, but it's some big names if you want that. Um, FS1, San Diego State and Hawaii, 10 o'clock Central. So that's games in Hawaii are always fun. San Diego State's a decent team. And then uh, San Jose State and Nevada. You got, uh, you got a good quarterback there. I don't remember his name at Nevada, but um, he's pretty fun to watch. Carson throw the ball Strong. Around. Carson Strong, there you go. Yes, our FS2 at 9 o'clock Central. So um, when, you watch, when you watch him play, I don't know, San Diego State maybe they were playing a couple weeks ago. I was watching him play, and he was leading their team down the field at the end, and he – he makes throws that a lot of college quarterbacks can can just not make, and he he puts the ball in places that that most quarterbacks would probably not want to try because if they did, it's going to get intercepted. And so it was um, it was fun watching him throw the ball around. And so ideally, they would never run the ball, and you just get to watch him throw the ball every single play. But um, if you want to watch a, a fun quarterback, 
tune into FS2 if you actually get that on your television set. Didn't you have Arizona State in the playoff? I did. No, I, I just had not win the South, which oh. could be like eight and four and win the South. So <laughs> they are uh, they're still not out of it. I think well, they got two losses now. It's the it's the pack like, Nobody is good. Not like anyone else is good. So if Utah loses the next three games, I don't think anyone's gonna be completely surprised. They probably won't, but it wouldn't Speak be the most surprising thing the Pac-12 has done. Speaking of wondering if anybody's good, the Big Ten West. Everybody got so high on Iowa, and it's been so gratifying to see them get smacked back down to earth. But I remember watching early in the year how awful Wisconsin and Minnesota both were. And now they are both ranked and better than Iowa in the rankings. You still have Purdue right there. I, I like this Purdue team. I think they're sneaky. You've basically got a four-horse race between them. Are Minnesota or Wisconsin actually good? How is this Big Ten West going to shake out? The East obviously getting all the hype with the three ranked teams after Penn State showed they were terrible. But you've got the a lot of the excitement out east, but kind of the the quiet classic Big Ten West. How are those four teams gonna shake out the rest of the year? I don't know who still has to play who. That's a that's a good question. So basically, everyone has to play everyone in the Iowa, Minnesota, Wisconsin circle. Um, Purdue's already done all three of those teams, so they're they lost to Wisconsin, Minnesota. So kind of all the tiebreakers are probably won't go their way. Um, Wisconsin was really smart against Iowa. They didn't really do too much and they don't let Graham Mertz throw the ball as much anymore versus like the 20 interceptions he had against Notre Dame and stuff like that. Um, he's completed like 15 passes total in his last two games or something like that. So, um, and that was against Iowa and Purdue. So playing some of the teams that may be a little bit more capable in the West, they really rein it in. They're not like running all over these teams. They just screw up and rely on their good defense and most of these other teams offenses aren't very good and so a really good defense against offenses aren't really good has been working for them um, within the Big Ten West Minnesota's down to their 19th string running back they have three that have had ending injuries so I don't I don't know how good your fourth string running back can be at Minnesota um, so maybe it's a little bit more around they have a, a pretty good offensive line um, but I find it hard with just kind of the injuries they've had in Minnesota. They're going to beat Wisconsin when they play. Um, so Wisconsin's probably got the, the advantage that they've already beat Iowa. They can probably take down Minnesota just with their defense. And then I don't think they have anyone else too big to play in Nebraska, Illinois. I'm not sure who else is left in there, but it's mostly, I think it's all Big Ten West teams. So um, it shouldn't be too tricky. So I'd take them. Um, you know, Minnesota and Iowa, that'll probably be a close game come down to the end. I don't, I don't know who's better in that, but hopefully, hopefully Minnesota wins that. Cause then you get Minnesota and Wisconsin. I believe they're playing the last week of the year. That's usually what happens to battle it out for the, yeah. the West. So um, that makes it pretty. Is that Paul Bunyan's ask, axe? No, what did they play for in Minnesota? They, get, they have the axe. Yeah. They got yeah. the axe. So there's a, there's an, a Paul Bunyan, which was right, uh, the Michigan one, one last weekend. But now you just get the axe, which is just a <laughs> giant axe. So, um, but yeah, I mean, you get that game November 27th. Hopefully it's snowing and cold and whatnot. And then that, that makes for a pretty fun game there at the end. So that's what I'd hope you see those two. I'd pull from Minnesota, but I'd probably take Wisconsin to actually win it and then just get destroyed by Ohio State. 
can we have that on the, as a topic the next time you guys come on best and worst college rivalry like either games or the name of the game or the trophy something like that well, that is a wonderful topic and i would like to discuss that okay we'll put that on the docket for next time you guys come on all right anything else here on the college football world before we do a few quick hitter topics All right, so a quick thing here I want to reflect on UFC 267, where I know at least one of you lost a little bit of money, but basically anybody who bet on that fight lost one, lost money in one big way. That was a looked like a fantastic card on paper, but kind of the betting lines got a little lopsided. The favorites were the favorites for reason, for reasons we expected. And then we got to the main event, and Glover Teixeira taking down Jan Blachowicz in a result that I don't know that any of us saw coming. Blachowicz was running through the division once he got to the top like oh man this guy's the real deal beats Israel Adesanya and then Teixeira stuns him with the submission in the second round if you don't know Teixeira's story I believe he's 42 years old one of those guys who feels like he's been fighting forever always goes out there puts on great fights one of those guys who feels like every other month he's on a card and one of the biggest upsets I think we've seen in recent MMA history this is not like a Poirier beating McGregor where if you actually watch the fights you knew it this was a legitimate upset everybody was on Blahovich, like a pretty heavy pretty heavy favorite just like the rest of the card and it's this wonderful chalky card you're sitting there your parlay is looking good oh man I'm racking it up racking it up and then Teixeira with the stunner of the upset to win the light heavyweight crown so congratulations to him all in all I thought a pretty good UFC 267 card a uh, very interesting 268 card coming up this weekend that kind of snuck up on me but uh don't know how don't know how much you guys uh paid attention to your 267 bets but that does that does remind me i didn't have this on the card but timing is a weird thing suddenly this fight is coming up this weekend i completely forgot 268 is this weekend i thought it was next weekend but a quick look at the card Kamaru usman and colby covington if you like somebody who plays a wwe character in the ufc you've got colby covington i fully expect Kamaru usman to beat him but covington's good just for the show uh, fantastic fight, Weili Zhang versus Rosnami Yunus for the women's strawweight belt. Gimme Zhang to get her belt back there. Two very likable people, phenomenal fight. Justin, uh, Justin Gaethje and Michael Chandler, another fantastic fight. These top three are awesome. Uh, tough one there. We know I love Michael Chandler, but Gaethje is Gaethje. So Usman, Zhang, and Gaethje in the top three. Also take Marlon Vera to beat Frankie Edgar if you need another fight to throw on top of your parlay. But Getting to that time of the year where UFC rolls out a whole bunch of great cards. Winter time is when UFC does their best stuff. Now through about February, March, going to be a lot of fantastic UFC cards for any degree of fight fan. What makes Marlon Vera a moneymaker? Uh, Frankie Edgar's old. One of my arch rules, don't bet on guys who were really good like 2010 to 2015. And Frankie Edgar was one of the best in the world at the time. He's an all-time legend. He's kind of like BJ Penn or Jose Aldo. I'm, I'm done betting on those kind of guys. Like Marlon Vera is just now getting into his prime. Don't look up Marlon Vera's fight history where Jose Aldo just beat him. Um, but yes, give, give me Marlon Vera. He also beat Sean O'Malley. So if you can beat Sean O'Malley, I'll put money on you. So you're saying maybe if if uh, DraftKings may come out on Saturday with uh, Kamara Usman, like submission in the first round at plus 100 it's better to wait on something like that than getting him right now at minus 320 i know i i want nothing to do with a submission in that so colby covington for whatever else he may be is a world-class wrestler 
So anything on the ground, I don't, I, I would take, Us- well, they're both fantastic wrestlers, but I would, I would take Usman on his feet. If, if he's going to finish him, I think he's going to be standing up or somehow it strikes. I don't think he can out wrestle Covington to get the submission. So that would scare me a little bit. Okay. How about uh, just win by decision at plus 165 or KO TKO at 150? Both of those feel better. So if Colby's got anything, it's conditioning and wrestling. So can he go the distance? Yes. Will he get stuck? No. So a decision or a TKO, those feel like better bets. Okay. Good I mean, call. They have they have submission at plus one thousand. So you're you know something that DraftKings knows. So yeah, two two phenomenal wrestlers. I don't see any submissions happening in that. Could somebody get caught with a strike? Sure. But. And while you're at it, never, ever, 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 never, 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 ever, never bet on Gagey to win by submission. So if they're if they're baiting you with like a plus five thousand, don't take it. He just knocks people out. If if you can get a Gagey by knockout as much as I love Michael Chandler, that may be your fun bet. Okay, let me see if I can get some numbers on that one here real quick. So. Submission is plus twelve hundred. Yeah, don't touch that. Okay, they're they're you're, they're stealing your money at that point. So, you, what about KO or TKO? Or, I, I was kind of sc- scrolling when you were telling me what to do. Yeah, if it's if it's Gaethje and you can get a uh, knockout TKO, I would go for it. I do love Michael Chandler, and I could I could very easily see either one of these guys winning this. But I think whoever wins, it's winning by KO TKO. So Chandler to win by TKO is plus four fifty. That might be something fun to cheer for. Yeah, def- definitely possible and definitely fun. You know, got to you know, no risk, no reward. He paid my mortgage last winter, so. There you go. We're good. All right. Speaking of betting options, we got the NASCAR. We in the final week this week are getting down to the wire. How? What's our NASCAR expert? What do we have going on for the NASCAR finals? I feel like we're down to like a top four. Oh, man. Uh, we had drama this past weekend. Rumor has it that your boy keeps ruffling Kevin Harvick's feathers, and I don't like it. Oh, that that didn't even have anything to do with it. So, so we are at the final race this Sunday, and they're at Phoenix. Kind of an interesting track. Side note: question: Why is it no longer in Miami? Uh, when COVID happened, NASCAR did the best of any sport at completely changing their schedule, and that was one of the things that they did. Is they they moved the they condensed it. So it would have been like two weeks later at Miami. Well, Miami's a boring track. It's the fast guys out front, and here we go. So they took it away from Miami, put it at Phoenix, which I don't love, but I can live with. And and they're putting it the first week of November, so they're shortening the season. But that's that's why they took it away from Homestead. So last week at, at uh, Denny Hamlin got wrecked. Um. I have no sympathy for the guy, so I don't really care. Like, 
he would have done the same thing to anybody else. It wasn't intentional. It was just somebody racing a little more aggressive than they needed to be. So anyway, he got all pouty pants about it. And our final four is Kyle Larson, uh, Denny Hamlin, Martin Truex Jr. And the, the fourth guy escapes me. It might be Chase Elliott. It actually probably is Chase Elliott. Um, he, Hamlin and Larson are, are who is going to be watched this week. It's been Larson's season all along. And, and the title is going to go to which one of those four guys finishes the closest to the front this week. So that's uh, Sunday afternoon. They're racing at Phoenix. I'm sure it's on NBC. If you're not going to watch the whole race, that's fine. But tune in and watch the last 50 laps. It'll, it'll take you a half an hour to see if Kyle Larson can finish the season where he has completely dominated the sport or if Denny Hamlin can knock him off and get a title of his own. I was waiting for Kevin's opinion. I enjoyed the drama from last weekend. Um, has anything similar to what happened after the race was over happened before you can think of? I had never seen anything like that as, as far as pulling up like on the front stretch and blocking his car. Yeah, yeah. so I, I, I hadn't seen anything like that before. I thought that was kind of silly. Like, if you're going to punt the guy, just drive up and smash your car into him. But he, like, he kind of tried to block him and see if, if uh, he would get out. It was William Byron, or excuse me. Bowman. Alex, Alex Bowman. It was Alex Bowman, and and he just kind of blocked him, thinking that Bowman would get out and fight him. And it's like, you, you're kind of a wimp. Bowman's kind of a wimp. Like you guys aren't going to fight each other. But if you really wanted to wreck him, just like full on demo derby this thing. That would have been way cooler. But no, I hadn't seen anything like that before. And he was all pouty, and he dropped an f bomb on live TV. And it's just like. This this guy a year ago kind of had some credibility with NASCAR and was doing something cool by starting his own team and and bringing Bubba Wallace in to drive for him. But this whole season, he's just kind of been a uh, entitled and arrogant and has lost a lot of credibility both on and off the track. Um, so so not a lot of love for Hamlin. But to answer the question, I have not seen a I hadn't seen a scuffle like that before in NASCAR. No. Controversy creates cash. That's one thing NASCAR has. Get your get your squabbles and get your fights. And Chase Elliott needs to leave Kevin Harvick alone. I want to touch on something you did say before. I appreciate the tracks that they have in the playoffs. I could do without Texas and Kansas, but the fact that they have Darlington, Richmond, Bristol, Talladega, Charlotte, Martinsville, you have like the classic tracks, the ones people want to watch. I maybe would slip Daytona in there if I were in charge of the schedule, but I think NASCAR is doing it right by having not your follow leader cookie cutter tracks for the most part you've got the good ones in here yeah their ratings have been awesome too for this playoffs the the best ratings they've had in a really long time for nascar have been this year in the playoffs good keep putting stuff on nbc no more of this nbc ascent for us people who live on rabbit ears uh so just about at our hour here, anything else you guys want to talk about? I didn't want to get too deep into the NFL this week, but if you want to take a minute on the NFL, kind of a week schedule, unless you love the Browns or Bengals, uh, now that Aaron Rodgers is out with COVID and Derrick Henry's out with a foot injury, kind of taking the shine off some of the good games. But anything quick else in the sports world that we haven't touched on or NFL things? I'm just happy that my Bills are uh, getting a nice opening with 
Derrick Henry being out, um, I can't imagine the Titans are going to stay too good, completely kind of going away with Adrian Peterson and whoever else they have at running back. Um, otherwise, the AFC teams just kind of keep slipping up here or there, and the Bills got their big, easy schedule part coming up. Hopefully, they can build a nice cushion to get that one seed. Um, I think the Ravens have the same record as them right now, but the Ravens can be hit or miss. So get get some good wins in there and get that get that one seed. Yeah. Side note on the Bills, I don't I thought like once you had a good year, you were supposed to play a tough schedule to kind of balance things out and get the parity back. So not only do the Bills get to play in the NFC East, but they also get to play Washington, Houston, Jacksonville, the Colts, and Carolina and Atlanta. So good. So way they to go do have a harder schedule than probably the Dolphins do. Um, but they, they got paired up with some, uh, some bad divisions plus their divisions, not good. So it's, uh, it's worked well in that sense. You get to play on Thanksgiving though. I didn't realize that that's fun. Saints bills on Thanksgiving night. It's a good game. That's pretty exciting. I don't, I don't know how good of a game that is. The saints are going to be pretty bad the rest of the year. Um, Alvin Kamara is going to rush for 85 million yards, but yeah, they're, they're, they are not a playoff team, so if you have uh, if you have the Saints in your playoff bracket, you might want to get out the only racer right now and just go ahead and take them out. Do you guys remember that one time that I picked up Elvin Kamara off of waivers his rookie year in our fantasy league, and then he's just carried my team for like the next five years? That was awesome. I, I, I don't recall that, but I'm sure you do. Yeah, I picked him up. Uh, I was probably three, four weeks into the season his rookie year and uh, nobody had him and he just started doing good. And so I was like, oh, my team probably sucked or something. So I picked him up and uh, he is, he's kind of been my guy since then. So I'm very happy that no one else wanted him or did not. Maybe I just realized his talent. Um, one championship, oh, um, but I, I have had three regular season championships, which is basically the same thing. Our league, our league is so freaking tough that a, a regular season championship is not easy to come by. And the year I, I won the whole thing, I had one loss the whole season. That was like a two-point loss or something like that. That was just beating down everybody every week, including the playoffs. And the year before that, I was – I think that was maybe the end of my three straight regular season titles. I should have – my team completely sucked in the first round of the playoffs – and then, you know, after I lost and we made it to the consolation, my team scored like 170 points in the consolation round or something like that. So that was, that was silly. But um, it's really those regular seasons. That's, that's where it's easier. Playoffs, you don't have to win. If you get a bye in the first round, you have to win, what, two games to win our playoffs? Right. That's pretty easy. Or even if you don't, you win three games. So you only got to be, what, the top half of the league to make the, the championship bracket and only then win yep. two or three games. That's that shouldn't even counts. No one cares about the playoff parts. Unless I win again this year, then that's really the important part and that's what we should talk about and focus on. Well, people love nothing more than when other people talk about their fantasy teams. So And their uh um along with that, they're like when you pick the college bulls, like Yeah, your uh, confidence points and your uh, Yeah. Yeah. yeah, people love when you talk about that too. That was really good. 
the poinsettia bowl. I want to know how much confidence you have in San Diego State <laughs> going up against Cal. Because that is probably fun. Darren, we had so much sponsorship dollars just waiting. They were going to Venmo you, and then they heard the last five minutes of this podcast, and they have since sent their money elsewhere. Still holding out Keystone, though. Still waiting on if anybody's going to stick with us. I don't know. Uh, a bowl game confidence points episode, that, that would do numbers right there. That's People are big into that. They need to well, set, set their confidence points for that stuff. Why don't we just start a bowl game? How hard is it? We rent a stadium. Like, they're just popping up every year. Just to say we can't start our own bowl game. Well, you don't need to start your own. You need to sponsor one. That's probably easier. But then you have to pay for it. So I guess if you can get someone to pay you for it, then you just have to organize it. You're, you're in charge of coming up with the little swag bags we give to all the players. I can do that. I can go to Best Buy and spend $500 per person. <laughs> all right. And with that... Everybody's getting a little punchy, so we are going to duck out of here. Thank you all for joining us this week. We'll be back next Thursday. Thank you.